to the Act Natural podcast. I am your host, Brian Middleton, and today I have Dr. Janina Scarlett joining us to talk about her work in ACT, um, especially her work with uh, teenagers and adolescents and um, just the impact of ACT in her life. Welcome, Dr. Scarlett. Hi, thank you so much for having me. What an honor. <laughs> also, well, a real honor for that you agreed to join me today. Um, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so I am currently, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. And I specialize in incorporating pop culture into evidence-based therapy, primarily acceptance and commitment therapy, to help folks who are struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. That's fantastic. Especially for us geeks. <laughs> geeks and nerds unite. Absolutely. Well, um, what are some things that you published? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, I've published books uh, called Superhero Therapy, Harry Potter Therapy, which is an act-based self-help book for Harry Potter fans, uh, Supernatural therapy for supernatural fans. Um, also a graphic novel called Dark Agents about a witch with PTSD who's learning act skills uh, to manage her difficulties um, and multiple other books, Super Women, Super Survivors. Um, there's a little bit of a list. That's fantastic. You're, you're very prolific. <laughs> Thanks. Um, well, uh, I I remember us chatting a little while back and you mentioning that um, one of the books that you published is kind of a, a, almost a role-playing game, like a tabletop role-playing game. What do you, uh, what's the title of that one? So that book is called Therapy Quest. And Therapy Quest, Therapy Quest is kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book. It has a little bit of Dungeons & Dragons elements, but um, it has only two choices. You don't really roll the dice. Okay. But I wanted it to be kind of a gamifying way of people doing uh therapy, right, or, or some kind of a self-help adventure. And so in this book, uh, you, the reader, are the leading character. The book is written in the second person, you. And as you're reading it, you learn that you are the chosen one to save the world. And every choice you make makes a difference. And every time you make a decision, you go to a different page in the book and your adventure continues from there. And you will learn certain act skills and hopefully acquire new friends. And let's say the mindfulness potion or self-compassion spell that will help you along the way. Fantastic. Um, what led you to write stories like this? <laughs> Overall, um, honestly, I am somebody that will always be a kid at heart. Um, you know, I, I had to grow up very quickly. Uh, I grew up with a lot of trauma. Um, I grew up in Ukraine. I, As a child, my family and I were exposed to Chernobyl disaster. We were also exposed to a lot of anti-Semitism and violence and had to flee to United States as refugees in secret. So there was a lot of trauma and terror in my past. And I think I always clinged on to magic, to fiction, to fantasy, to books, because not only was it an escape, but it was also a safe space when I needed one. And it was also a way for me to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because when you read about characters who are going through loss or going through trauma, you can talk about these characters. Whereas I think for many of us, we might have been discouraged from facing our own experiences. Right to this day, a lot of people are told that to be strong, you have to suppress your feelings. But as we know from Frozen, conceal don't feel doesn't work, yeah. right? Our emotions are magical, right? Our feelings are called feelings because they're meant to be felt. And so in exploring fiction, I found ways to better relate to myself and better relate to my clients. And so I wanted to make therapy fun. I wanted to make it accessible for people who also enjoy fiction and pop culture. And so I wanted to make these books almost like a hero's journey for anyone who's interested. The idea for Therapy Quest specifically, I can't take credit for. That was my editor's idea who said, hey, would you ever want to do kind of a choose your own adventure book? And I said, yes, yes, I do. Um, and it was lots of fun. Uh, but overall, this that's my approach. That's what I really enjoy. And I think if we can gamify our life, if we can bring some magic and fantasy into our world that's already so full of terror, then why not? Exactly. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting you should mention um, this kind of be strong attitude. There, there's another one that kind of bugs me a bit. Um, it's the good vibes only thing. And I was just thinking to myself, what about true vibes only? I like that much more. Yeah, because yeah. like it's, it's kind of that tamping down of like, oh, I'm not allowed to accept that there's other things going on. I just have to have the good vibes. And it's like, exactly. Hmm. Well, that's the good vibes only mentality is what we call toxic positivity and also gratitude shaming, right? There's a lot of people that when they see somebody who's suffering because they don't have the space or don't know how to make space for that person's suffering might then say, well, at least it's not as bad as this. You should be grateful hmm. that it's not like that. And so the person who is suffering is then left to also feel shame for suffering. And it just boggles my mind that we essentially kick a person while they're down and shame them for feeling devastated instead of grateful. And so, and of course, gratitude practices are important, but I think it's about making space for the full spectrum of emotions because emotions are kind of like colors. Each one is important and each one is beautiful. And it's not that we need to shut out grief or sadness or anger. It's that we need to understand it. Grief is not, uh, is not a bad emotion to feel, right? In fact, grief is an extension of love. We, yeah. we grieve because we've loved. And so I think by acknowledging all of our emotions, that's how we truly embrace our inner magic. Whereas when we suppress certain emotions, we suppress them all. And that's when we're more likely to feel numb, disconnected, and depressed. Yeah. And it's funny you should mention that because I... I have struggled with clinical depression. Um, and I was diagnosed at, I think it was 26 or 27. Um, and when I received the diagnosis, I was like, I'm not depressed. I'm not feeling sad. And the doctor had a conversation with me and he's a fantastic physician, by the way. Um, and he's like, well, what do you feel? And I was like, not a whole lot. Like, I'm not feeling a lot. I'm feeling, and, and he kind of pointed out that because of that, I was going towards the more extreme emotions. And, and 
because of my own family's trauma history, um, both of my parents struggled with some stuff. And I will say this for my parents, they did a wonderful job of making sure that we were doing, of not, of, of trying to break the chain. How's that? How of trying to tra- break the chain and, and, you know, there's, there's still some hurt there and there's still some healing going on, but um, because of my family's behavioral response and the model behaviors for me, I frequently went towards anger as, as my response. And so I would get angry over things that were pretty big um, or that, that weren't big. I would have big anger responses. There we go. Um, to, things and i had to learn to accept that i was feeling angry and it was even before i encountered act itself i i was trying to explore and understand and one of the things that i realized was that the root of my anger was helplessness and that before i could truly face my anger i had to face the fact that i felt helpless and that that's okay And I wonder if there is, um, you know, kind of this cultural expectation of what people are supposed to feel, right? Because stereotypically, boys are told anger is okay, but sadness is not. And stereotypically, girls are told sadness is okay sometimes because you don't want to be quote unquote hysterical. Yeah. Uh, But anger is not. And then, you know, non-binary individuals and gender fluid individuals are told they're not allowed to feel altogether, right? And so we're creating these really toxic messages in the society when people are told that. I was 25 years old when my therapist told me that I felt angry. And I was like, I'm not angry. I don't get angry. (laughs) I was so mad that she said that. And she was like, well, it's interesting because we never, whenever I mention your parents, you seem to feel not just angry, but like rageful. And I was like, I don't get angry. And I went home like fuming and I went back the following and I was like, you might be right. And, you know, but for 25 years, I believed that I'm a person that doesn't get angry because I grew up with this belief that girls are not allowed to get angry. Um, To be fair, though, just so you know, my family, the girls were allowed to get angry. (laughs) We had lots of angry fights. So (laughs) it it was more of a family culture thing because, yeah, the the longest sort of it is is, uh, the the explanatory fiction that my family would use is, well, we're Scotch, Irish and German. So that means we are fiery souls. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) now I'm like, or maybe we just didn't have good ways of coping and so we fell back on this <laughs> but either way like there's some wonderful things that are happening and um my family is is healing and growing which is fantastic and a big part of that is that um i've been able to share some of these ideas um with my family and my family have also been doing exploration as well and so um Actually, a good example is is over Christmas. Um, I had a minor disagreement, very minor by comparison to previous Christmases, very minor, um, and with uh, with my father. And my brother called me out for for saying something hurtful. And in the moment, I was getting defensive, and then because I had learned the the self as context and the diffusion skills um, and being in the present moment, 
I did a, I did a self check. Um, and I went, Oh wait, Oh wait, you're going back to old patterns, Brian, you need to change things around. And so in that moment, I probably scared my brother a little bit because in that moment I went, you know what? You're right, Chris, I screwed up. Let's go. I, I need to go apologize to dad. Come with me. Let's go apologize to dad. And I apologized to dad right then and there. And we hugged and cried and it was really healing. And, and was it hard? And were there, are there still points when I think back to the, the disagreement, it, do I still feel frustrated about the thing that led up to the disagreement? Yes. But that doesn't change the fact that I res- I'm responsible for my own actions and, and I, and I take ownership of my own actions and the, the positive cascade from that is that that allowed for some healing and then my father has opened up to me. So like, this is, this is the value of these approaches is I can't, I can't make my dad or my mom or my brother, anybody else heal. I can heal myself, but I can model my, the behavior. And then as I model the behavior, then they pick up and, and they choose whether they want to model it or not. Um, and I wish I could say, oh, Christmas miracle, that sort of thing. And, and, and all of my family were getting along. But the reality is, is that there's always going to be people who are going to behave the way they're going to behave. But at the end of the day, that, that self-ownership, I love it. It's, it's, it's so powerful um, because it takes, it takes the control out of uh, everybody else's hands. It takes the control out of the fates as it were, and, and it puts it in my hands. And no, I can't control what is happening all the time. There's just no, there's no possible way, but I can control how I respond to it. Exactly. And what a courageous way of modeling how to diffuse a conflict, right? And how to diffuse a thought and, uh, and just in general, how to practice, uh, you know, compassion and accountability. And you're right. The only person we can ever change is ourselves. But by doing so, we're creating ripples in the universe where other people are affected by it too, in a really powerful and very positive way. Yeah. Um, so, Back to ACT itself, um, what led you to ACT? Um, So I was doing uh, my graduate work and I come across ACT in one of my classes and kind of fell in love because it seemed to me almost like a hero's journey. Like as I was in class learning about it, learning about the hexaflex and, you know, so the basically for any listeners who might not be familiar, right, the the six main elements of acceptance and commitment therapy. And it just, I just saw it as kind of like a hero's journey. Like you get your, your call to action, right? Something happens to you, something terrible, um, which is why most people might seek therapy, right? They're, they're going through a hard time. And so, it's almost like a call to action. And then, you know, there's a mentor, which could be your therapist, but it could also be a fictional hero like Batman, who could be your mentor, right? And then there are certain monsters that you have to face. Um, and you think these monsters are evil, right? Like your thoughts and feelings and memories, but actually they're not evil. They're they're painful. 
but they're not evil. And so like you try to stab them, but the more you stab them like Hydra, they keep just multiplying, right? And so you have to learn from your wise mentor a different approach of facing these monsters because the only way out is through. Yeah. And so just somehow as I as I was in um, what ended up being a series of different act classes that I participated in and then the act training with Steve Hayes and, you know, and everyone else, it just... I don't know, it just mapped so nicely. And I, I tend to think in realm of fiction anyway. So I think the way I was translating what I was learning was like, oh, okay, so this is kind of like, you know, what Batman does, like, you know, in this, or like mindfulness is kind of like what Spider-Man does, right? Like when he's tuning into his spidey senses or, you know, like, or kind of like the force. And so I was just like mentally translating everything I was learning in like geek terms to understand it. And it just made sense to me. And then in one of the, act bootcamp trainings i went up to steve hayes right one of the main co-developers of act and he was talking about the importance of considering the client's culture when we're uh providing act treatment and i went up to him and i said when you're talking about culture would you consider geek culture to be a part of that culture? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm a part of the geek culture, right? Like I go to Comic-Con and I cosplay and I'm into Harry Potter and Star Wars and all of those things. And so, and I view it as an important part of people's culture. Would you think that that's important consideration too when providing act? And he said, absolutely. And I said, I would like to write a book specifically for geek culture. And he said, absolutely, you should. And then he said, I, I was going to ask him first, just if he thought it was a good idea. He wrote down his email address and he said, when you write it, I will endorse it. And I just kind of stood there and like fangirled for a little bit, you know, like I couldn't really move. Um, I love Dr. Hayes for that. He's such was, a wonderful guy. It was so great. It was so great. And so he, he was so supportive and so kind and very encouraging. And it took several years before, you know, I was able to and before I was ready, but he, you know, he kept his word, he endorsed it, and he'd been very kind and supportive ever since. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I absolutely love about Dr. Hayes is that he's very open and and loves to explore. Um, he, he actually came on this podcast um, and... It was, it was really fun because he's like, I don't know if I'm a very busy person. And I'm like, I totally understand. I'll work with your schedule. I'll do whatever you want with it. Like if I need to wait. And then, and then he came back as like, well, this is important. So tell you what, I'll make some space for you. I'm like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he's a very fantastic in that way. And I'm very glad to hear that he was so open to that. Um, I, I especially love how, um, you are looking for ways for ACT to be accessible um, and especially for um, not, well, so geek culture, yes, but also young people. Um, because one of, the, one of the big challenges that comes with uh, teaching concepts like ACT uh, is that they're kind of abstract. Uh, and that's where, that, that geek culture, the relational frames that we have within the stories that we already tell um, comes in. But uh, like for young people, it makes all the difference because it's, it, they're, they're tough concepts to begin with. But then when we add to um, that, that it's, it's a difficult thing to consider 
if there's a and that that just that barrier, but you can take those barriers down by by using those connections, like by using the stories that are already there. Um, have you encountered any any challenges with things like, for example, the the, the Harry Potter supernatural therapy, where um, publishers or, or other authors are not a fan of you using those those terms or those words, or have they been pretty open? Um, I mean, so far, everyone's been pretty supportive. Um, both Harry Potter therapy and supernatural therapy were self-published. And I wanted to do that for several reasons. First of all, I wanted to make the books as affordable as possible. Okay. And second of all, I wanted to make them nonprofit. And so I've made the both the ebook and the hard copy as low as Amazon would let me. And then um, a large portion of the proceeds is donated to different organizations. And um, my company is also donating like uh, emotional support plushies, for example, to children's centers. So for um, all the money that is made on um, on these books is given back to the community. And That's so I think so being able to invest in these two fandoms really allowed me to be more involved and, for example, donate these books to um, to different organizations that are working with, let's say, children who survived abuse or um, to donate, again, emotional support plushies to foster care, you know, or hospitals, for instance. And so um, I've actually been really grateful I didn't receive pushback. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the importance of using this vocabulary with young people. Um, and it is because for a lot of young people, but really people of all ages, they might not have the vocabulary. I certainly didn't when I was growing up to understand what was going on. When I was in middle school, I didn't know that I was going through depression. I didn't know what panic attacks were. I had them, but I didn't know what they were. And I thought I was the only one going through it. But what's interesting is that um, a lot of people think that superhero therapy is primarily for kids. It started when I was working with adults, with um, active duty service members, uh, specifically Marines. Okay. And um, the reason why it came up is because a lot of the service members I was working with who had just returned from Afghanistan or Iraq couldn't talk about what they had been through and who could you know, about some of the worst traumas you can imagine, but they could use metaphors. They could say, you know what it was like down there? It was like a scene from The Walking Dead. And I knew what they meant. Or they would say, you know what I felt like seeing my friend being killed in front of me? It was like how little Bruce Wayne felt when his parents were killed in front of him. I felt small and defenseless. And that was a much stronger metaphor and language than had they just said, I don't know. I felt sad. Yeah. I mean, how do you describe something like that? There's no word that's enough to describe the emotion of horror and helplessness and devastation in any language. But a metaphor can really help a person to really connect with the other person that they're speaking to and where pop culture now has become this kind of modern myth for people to really convey what's what's in their heart, what they're going through, and for other people to then know, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. Well, and it's funny you should mention modern myths because a lot of uh, our pop culture um, is founded on ancient mythologies. Um, for example, uh, this is just the first ones that come to mind. Um, Batman is uh, 
sorry, Superman is Achilles and Batman is the equivalent of um, Odysseus. There we go. From the Odyssey. Uh, there's a lot, been a lot of comparisons brought over that way. And um, there's a lot of repetition of mythologies and kind of that, uh, that hero's journey that you mentioned that the, there's, there's no true story, new story under the sun type thing. Um, and that's one of the things that I love, love, love about storytelling is that it allows for us to be able to express an experience without having to actually go through it. But it also allows for us to, to connect and understand with others in a, in a way that's a little bit safer. Um, one of the things that I've noticed of late, and I wonder if you're noticing this too, is that a lot of stories that are, are being published or being created in film or TV shows, things like that, that they're starting to incorporate more current theory when it comes to trauma and emotions and openness and how to handle that. And some of them handle it a little bit better than others, like, because we've, we've got the challenges of pop culture and, and pop psychology and how certain myths, uh, like for example, the stages of grief, which um, I recently read that that was a study for people who were dealing with terminal cancer and it was the grief that they were experiencing of accepting their own mortality. And then that was turned into a pop culture thing of everybody goes through these stages of grief. And the research is actually showing that that's not the case, but anyways, I digress a bit. The, the, the point being that despite those little challenges that there's, there's some beautiful fiction and, and even nonfiction coming out that's showing um, and modeling healthy uh, coping mechanisms. Is there any, any fiction that you've been reading or watching lately that, that kind of comes to mind with that? In terms of having an accurate portrayal or an inaccurate portrayal? Uh, more accurate. I, I, I want to I push people towards accurate portrayals. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Jessica Jones and The Punisher both are really, really powerful depictions of what PTSD might look like. Um, I thought WandaVision was an incredible depiction of what grief, not just grief, but complex grief and complex trauma can look like. I don't think WandaVision has PTSD. Excuse me, Wanda. I don't think Wanda has PTSD, but she certainly seems to have a long history of trauma and grief. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it leads to dissociation, right? And, and disconnection. And so I don't want to spoil too much for anyone that hasn't seen WandaVision, but I think it's such a powerful show that really speaks to people who've ever lost somebody yeah. um, and I am still very much a, a fan of the Harry Potter series I don't agree with JK Rowling's stance um, I very much support trans individuals and trans rights um, but I am a big fan of the series and the reason why is because the series in my opinion accurately depicts what it might be like to go through grief and trauma and anxiety and depression um, and I think that's why it speaks to so many people. Okay. Um, have you by chance heard of the uh, TV show A Crazy Ex-Girlfriend? I have. I haven't seen it yet. How is it? Um, it, it 
it's it's kind of hard to watch sometimes because it it portrays some stereotypical behaviors and things like that but the further the show progresses the um the the more solid it is and at the end um, i'm not going to spoil but it it goes into some evidence of based approaches and and really confronts those really hard questions and multiple characters grow and have to overcome challenges and and it's very real um i love it because i'm a huge musical musical fan and so my wife and i watched it and there are some really fun and funny musical numbers that they do and boy did they have fun making it so it's it's one of those ones that i i definitely recommend because one it accurately portrays um a fairly common mental health challenge that that certain people deal with. Not going to spoil it. Um, I am familiar with the specific diagnosis. Okay. On that show. Yeah. <laughs> and and also it 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 offers some truly solid guidance and advice while also being very fun and interesting fiction. So. Yeah. That's, That's fantastic. And, you know, for something like that, uh, so, the, yeah, the one thing I do know about the show is the diagnosis that it portrays. And it's good to hear. I haven't watched it yet, but it's on my list. And, you know, I know a lot of, uh, not a lot, but the few shows that I think have attempted to portray this disorder, I think have really pathologized it. So I was really glad to hear that it was portrayed well, or, you know, with, with compassion, with dignity on the show. So definitely interested in watching it. Thank you for the recommendation. I don't know if it was quite dignity, but there was a lot of humor. So good to know, which to be honest, I, my approach now, my, one of my, one of the ways that I most effectively diffuse is but through laughter. Um, it's also a way that I try to escape. So I have to, I have to regularly check with myself to ask, am I, am I being funny because I'm trying to escape from the, from the pain that, that I'm uh, and avoid it? Or am I being funny because I'm diffusing and then I, it allows me to see what is actually happening in front of me. Yeah. What's um, the function of that behavior? Exactly. That's what's the function WTF. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, it, 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 it is very much enjoyable. Um, uh, another series, I actually had an opportunity to interview those authors, um, is uh, Dakota Kraut and uh, Dennis Vanderkirken and their series, The uh, Arturian's Archives. And interestingly, uh, Dennis is the principal author for that, that series, and Dennis is an applied ethics um, student. And, and he is incredibly knowledgeable and just having conversations with him just blows me out of the water. But um, a lot of the, it, it shows the, the power that um, these ancient practices and ideas that many thinkers act. Here's the thing I love about act act isn't new. What's new is that these ideas have been tested and confirmed to work and that there's a lot of research on them. And so when I'm, when I, talk to people and some people are, are hesitant because it's like, oh, it's just a new therapy. My response is mm, not quite new. Like it's more just verifying that things work and, and then trying to make those connections. Like the new ideas are things like relational frame theory. That's, that's a new concept, um, which is the foundation of ACT. But the thing that's not new is 
the stories and the ideas and the approaches and there are things that are taken from um, Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Gnostic Christianity, some, so many variations of, of cultures um, that, have, that have tested these ideas and have proven them to, to be pretty effective and then pass them down word of mouth or through writing. Um, but we want to make sure we're demystifying and, and, and being as effective as possible. Exactly. Exactly. I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I think, and I think that unfortunately, even within mental health, there is a stigma of which approach do you use? And, you know, I'm just hoping that as mental health professionals, we can be more inclusive. And I think that uh, I, at least I, I try to think about what would be best for the particular client. Yes. Um, and, and we're all in it for the same reason, hopefully, right? We're all in it to help people. And so I'm hoping to see more collaboration even among different disciplines rather than this kind of competitive nature that we see sometimes. Well, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that back that up because I'm a, a board certified behavior analyst and a licensed behavior analyst. And um, one of the things that, that I know for sure is that there's many things that I don't understand. And uh, so I have a, a group of, of friends, of, of, of people that I've cultivated relationships with who specialize in their own ways. Um, the gentleman who introduced me to ACT, uh, Dr. Shumway, uh, he and I worked together while I was working at, at a school district and he was a school psychologist. And um, he's a counseling psychologist. And that every time I have a conversation with them, I learn something new and it's wonderful. Um, another one of my friends who is a school counselor, um, she is, uh, I, I believe she does CBT, she's licensed to, to, for a CBT and DBT um, and, and a few other therapy therapies that she does. And so I came across the challenging situation and I shot a text message out to her and, and asked her what her thoughts were on it. And, and she gave me some good references and I was able to reach out to other people. The reality is, is that we keep on thinking that we're, we're in these lonely castles that we have to defend. Um, and it's a competition against the other fiefdom on the other side. And, oh, they're encroaching on our territory. When really the challenge is, is that we need to look at this more like the Great Wall of China, where we need to be working together um, with parents and teachers and um, uh, other therapists and other therapies and with uh, public health servants and, and all these different folks to be a defense against um, the darkness of mental health issues. And, and even that's the wrong narrative because it's not so much that we need to be a defense against it as we need to be more like doctors going out and inoculating and teaching people skills. So even that narrative is, is a, a little bit problematic because if we, if we look at ourselves as a defense instead of as, as educators, as people who are, who are helping to spread skills that leads to better health, um, then we get stuck in the wrong mindset too. So there you go. <laughs> um, well, is there, is there anything else that you wanted to share with us, Dr. Scarlett? Is there any projects you're currently working on that, that you'd like to 
to talk about. I, I know you recently published a book and I'd, I'd love for you to mention that one. Thanks. Yeah. So um, Superwomen is coming out in the United States in just a couple of weeks. And then Super Survivors is a self-help book for anyone who struggled with anything COVID related, um, either as somebody who's lost someone to COVID or somebody that had it or maybe is afraid of it. Um, but really what I wanted to mention is this. If any, if any of you out there who are listening to uh, to this interview, if any of you are struggling, one thing that I wanted to tell you is this: you're not alone. And I know it sounds like a cliche message, but I mean it. Chances are that what you're going through, most people that you know are going through also, but they might never think to tell you because they might not think that you'd understand. And a lot of times we're walking with these I'm fine masks. But the truth is, if you ever share your story, that gives other people their permission to share theirs. And so you never know how many people you're impacting just by being you, by being authentic and genuine, and also by checking up on your friends, by being there for other people chances are you've probably helped multiple people out there. Maybe you've even saved a life, but that person might never think to tell you that. And so what I wanted to put out there is please remember that you make more of a difference than you'll ever possibly realize in your lifetime. Please remember that you matter. Please remember that you're already a freaking superhero. And thank you for all the wonderful ways in which you make this world a better place. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Scarlett. Um, well, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up. Um, folks, uh, remember that the Act Natural podcast is an open source education material, which means that you are welcome to use um, all or part of this podcast towards um, continuing education, dissemination. Um, please share this with others. Uh, please, please um, look into ACT and, and look into Dr. Scarlett's books um, because they perpetuate important skills that help us to be able to overcome challenges um, and to have the skills to be, um, as, I, as I've, I've heard it put, um, mindful warriors. Um, well said. <laughs> I wish I had coined that. I didn't. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for, for joining us today, Dr. Scarlett. And uh, act natural. Mm-hmm.